You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Growing up playing sports on elementary playgrounds, community center gyms, and front driveways in the neighborhood, one of my pet peeves was guys who would showboat. If you don't know what showboating is, here's a definition for you. Showboating is someone who behaves or plays a sport in a way that is intended to attract attention or admiration. And I love this definition with this little clause, especially when this is annoying, right? If you've ever played with a showboater, it is annoying. Players who showboated drove me crazy because they were making the game, even though we were playing for fun, quote unquote, in the front yard and backyard and all that. Even though we were playing for fun, they were making the game about them and not the team. Typically, and you know this if you did this growing up, these types of players, people, were either really good at the sport we were playing. It's like you have a reason to showboat because you're really good at it. Or it was the total opposite end and they were really bad and they would make one shot and you would think they were going to be the next Michael Jordan, right? That would play. Those were the type of showboaters that I grew up playing with. But showboating, here's the thing, just doesn't happen in the sports world. Showboating happens in the religious world all of the time. People doing religious activities to draw attention or admiration to themselves. I mean, let's be honest. Can you really do your devotions without letting people know you've done your devotions on social media? Can you really take a fast from something or social media without letting everybody know you're taking a fast from social media? Can you serve or give without sharing how humble you are that you get the opportunity to give, right? Jesus confronts this type of showboating in Matthew chapter six, verses one through 18. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount and because we've been working through the book of the whole Matthew, um, we've worked through the first five, four chapters and we've come to chapter five, six, and seven, which is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, simply because Jesus gave this message on a mount. So it's a real clever name, but it's the name that's been given to this message is they call it the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at chapter five and we finished chapter five last week where Jesus is making clear to his audience what a kingdom of heaven citizen looks like. And in chapter five, we saw the character of a kingdom citizen. He talks about the blessed life of a kingdom citizen, which we refer to as the Beatitudes. He gives us the results of this blessed life, that there'll be salt and there'll be light. He shows us the importance of the word and how we should live it out. And Clint just read it a few minutes ago in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. 
And then when we came to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 through 48, he addressed, addressed six misinterpretations from the scriptures that the scribes and Pharisees had been teaching. And so he talked about topics like murder and adultery and divorce and oaths and retaliation and love. And he was showing us that Jesus has all authority and that authority isn't just over our actions, that authority is over our attitudes. That he just doesn't want us as kingdom citizens to follow his rules or his laws. He wants us to follow him from the heart. That he's after our heart. And chapter 5 really gets to the heart of righteousness. That, that Jesus is, yes, the, the word of God is good and we should be obedient to the word of God. But it, he wants to come from a heart that is submissive to him as the king of our lives. And that's what our obedience should flow from. So it comes from this heart of righteousness. Now, as we move from chapter 5 to chapter 6, Jesus begins to talk about the practices and the priorities of a kingdom citizen, the conduct of a kingdom citizen. So I want to invite you to stand with me and pull out your Bibles, whether on your device or physical Bibles, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I'd like to read to you the section of scripture we're going to look at today, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. I'll read it out loud. You follow along quietly with me. But as you're following along, I want you to be attuned to the text in the three practices that Jesus addresses. It's easy when you read 18 verses to sort of, you know, let your mind wonder. I do the same thing. So as I'm reading through it, I want you to be identifying the three practices that Jesus is going to address in these 18 verses. All right. So Matthew chapter six, verses one through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for that your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others, but, but that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. God, we are grateful for your word that we can come and hear from you again today. And so we come with humble hearts, submitting ourselves to your word. We're submitting ourselves as we sit in this room and as people watch online, that we're submitting ourselves to the hearing of your word. And so I pray that as we hear your word though, Lord, that we would not just to submit to hear it, but we would submit to do it. That we would submit to be obedient to your word because following your word is your desire for our heart and our lives and how to live in a way that honors you and makes much of you and so I pray that we would take what we learned today and apply it to our lives this week I want to take a quick second Lord also and pray for a family in our church for the Hanska family and Trisha who lost her uh, brother this week um I pray, Lord, for your grace over the Hanska family, uh, a tragic loss, an unexpected loss. And Lord, I know that their family is hurting. And so we come alongside Tricia and Mike and their family and just give them to you today and ask, Lord, that you would be true to be near to the brokenhearted, that Tricia would know that you're with her and you're for her. May you comfort her heart I pray for her parents as they work through this as well and all the difficult decisions that are being made and the conversations that they're having. I just pray that in all of this, Lord, that they would sense your love and know that you have not abandoned them, that you are with them. And may they know that today. May they know even today as we're praying for them, that there's a church family that loves and cares for them. So we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be your hands and your feet in these moments to the Hanska family. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as Jesus begins this section, in verse 1, he really lays out for us these, the point of these 18 verses when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. The word beware has the idea of take effort to avoid. Uh, your translation may say take heed, right? The, the idea is uh, Jesus is saying, I want you to be aware. I want you to take heed to avoid practicing your righteousness before men. Now, what is the practices that Jesus addresses in these 18 verses? There's three of them. What was the first practice that Jesus addressed? Give, right? That's the first one. When you give. What was the second practice Jesus addresses? Prayer is the second. And what's the third? Fasting. So he gives us these three practices and he says, beware of practicing your righteousness with the mind of thinking on giving, praying, and fasting. Beware of doing this before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father in heaven. 
When it comes to practicing your righteousness, Jesus is saying, don't showboat, right? Why? Because you will not receive the reward from your father who is in heaven. When you practice your righteousness to be seen by others, you are rewarded with an attaboy, but it's an attaboy from the wrong audience, right? Because he says, if you see that and people see you doing it for that and you get their praise, that's your reward. That you got a pat on the back from the people you wanted to see you do that. But that's not the right reason to do it. That's the wrong audience. And from here, Jesus begins to structure how he's going to share these practices and how they'll work. And so the structure of the text will look like this. There'll be a beginning. We'll pop up here in just a second. The, yeah, there we go. The structure of Matthew is this. It has a beginning. I know this is going to blow your mind. A middle and an end. All right. So write that down in your sermon notes, beginning, middle, and end of this section of scripture. But he, he has a rhythm to which he is writing. Do you remember the last two weeks? What was Jesus' rhythm to his speaking? You have heard it said, but I say to you. Remember he said that six times. That's why we know these six topics. What's interesting is Jesus has a rhythm to this section of scripture as well. And it's almost like Jesus is now saying, you have seen it done, but I say to you. So he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Now he is saying, you have seen it done, but I say to you. And here's how he's going to work this out for us. He's going to have this beginning, which will introduce each topic. And as you, we're reading through it, you may have noticed it. It always begins with, and when you. We see it in verse 2, 5, and 16. You saw it because you saw the, the, the giving and the praying and the fasting. Then in the middle section, Jesus is going to talk about a wrong way to do this practice, the practice of righteousness, and the right way to do. So he's going to give us an example of Here's the wrong way to do it. And then he's going to say, but here's the, the right way to do it. And then it's going to end with, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. At the end of each one of these sections, the same phrase is used. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a couple of things I want you to notice about this structure before I move beyond it. The first is, at each one of these, Jesus says, and when you. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't say, and if you do. Jesus, right out of the gate, gives us the assumption that these are the practices that we will do as citizens of his kingdom. That we will give, we will pray, and we will fast. The danger I've found in my walk with the Lord, and I would venture to say your walk with the Lord as well, is that the things that Jesus makes as a part of our Christian life, that these are just natural outworkings, we make optional in our lives. So when it comes to praying and giving and fasting, we, we say things like, I just don't feel like doing that today. When Jesus is giving us in this text and when you do these things. Not, not if, not if you feel like praying, not if you feel like giving, not if you feel like fasting, but when you do these, that these are things that are just a part of our life as a follower of 
Jesus. These are things that we do. Some days, you and I don't feel like eating, but we do it because it's what's best for our physical body. We need nourishment, right, in order to function. So we eat. And if our Heavenly Father thinks it is best for us to give and to pray and to fast, it's probably a good idea that we do it, right? That we make it a part of our life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to notice that he says, and when you, not if you do these things. Then I want you to notice the end when he says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. This word secret that we're going to see repeated over and over again has the idea of hidden. Now, if you'll remember in our study in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, what did Jesus say about our good works? Remember this verse, really verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp when he's talking about us being the light of the world and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. So that one seems like our faith needs to be public. Right? Like, let people see your good works so they can glorify your Father in heaven. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus is saying, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That we're to do these things in secret. So what, what's the tension in the text here? What, what is Jesus after by using these practices of righteousness to expose our hearts? I think what Jesus is after is not necessarily that the secret or hidden, that people don't know about it. What Jesus is after is he's after our motives, right? That's the idea is that when you do something in secret or in hiding, your motives are right because it's, you're not doing it so people can see you. You're doing it because you know the father sees you and you want the reward from the father. So that's the idea behind this secret and hidden is not necessarily that you don't ever give and people see you give or you don't ever pray and people don't see you pray, that you don't give fast and people don't see you fasting. The idea is that your motive is right. That you're willing to do it in secret and in hiding because the Father sees and will reward you. I also want you to notice that in the text, we're never told what the reward is. So Jesus doesn't say in there, you'll be rewarded and here's the reward that you're going to get. Why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't he say? Because we are people that are motivated by rewards, right? Like, I love it when there's a good reward at the end of doing something right. Yes. So why doesn't he just say, here's the reward? Again, I think it goes back to our motives. Because what Jesus is after here is he's after us pursuing him. So the reward, the motive is our father. It's not even the reward. The motive is that our father sees and he's going to reward us. I can have confidence that. I can rest in that. that that's the, the motive is that the father knows. And so I want you to notice this rhythm as we go through these three practices of righteousness as Jesus refers to them. as. So let's look at verse two together. Thus, and here's our beginning, when you give to the needy. Giving to the needy was a pillar of religious life in Jesus' day. Poverty was widespread in their society. And so God called his people to care for the poor. 
This wasn't just in Jesus' day. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 11, as God was putting together his people and how his people would work together, one of the laws that he had was that the people would give to the poor and needy, that they would always hold their stuff with open hands to care for the poor and needy that were around them. So Jesus says, and when you give to the needy, and then we find the middle section, the wrong way, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. We really in some ways, don't know what Jesus is talking about here. The phrase, toot your own horn, hasn't been around at this time, if you know what I'm saying. So he's not using that slang to try to say, sound no trumpet. But he, there, there is a few things that were happening in that culture that Jesus could have been calling out. The first one was literally when they would start one of their fasts that they would do together, they would blow a trumpet and the start of the fast would be you would come to the temple and you would give money to the temple. And so it was sort of like everybody knew you like you're coming to the temple to give money to the temple at the start of this fast. Another reason they would blow the horn is they would blow the trumpet if somebody gave a big gift. So if like you gave a great financial gift to the temple, they would blow the trumpet as a way to say, ah, look, we got a big gift and everybody claps and balloons fall from the ceiling, right? Like this is so exciting. They would blow a trumpet. Some would say that the, the container that they put their money in was shaped like a trumpet and when you would drop the money, and again, coins, so we're not talking about dollar bills, when you would drop these coins into the, the container, that it would make a noise. So it was like a trumpet sound, like it's hitting that. So we have offering boxes, right? It would be like you bringing your offering, and rather than bringing dollar bills or giving online, that you bring your offering in pennies, right? And you stand at the back, and as people are leaving, you're dropping it in the offering box, so people are like, wow, look, that guy's really generous with all those pennies that he has brought to put in the offering box. And then our staff is cursing your name when they have to go through all that. But it's like drawing attention to themselves. So that's the idea of sounding the trumpet. Could have been any of those. But the point was it was a way to, to boast. It was a way for you to be noticed. But I, I want you to see another word that Jesus uses that he's going to use repeatedly Sound no trumpet before you. And look what he says in verse two, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Jesus is gonna use this word hypocrites repeatedly through this section. What's a hypocrite? Well, you know, you don't have to be around very long church to hear people talk about church people being hypocrites, right? Like they don't live what they say they live. And th that's the idea, a hypocrite, in Jesus's day was an actor on a Greek stage who would have various masks to play different roles. So the picture is, right, they put a mask in front of them, they go play that role, then they go backstage, the next scene they come out, they got another mask, they played that, that was a hypocrite. A hypocrite plays a role that is not really who they are. So what they're showing you, what they're the mask is, that's not really who they are. And so Jesus says, when you give in this way, you're like a hypocrite. 
You're, you're putting a mask up. You're, you're showing something that is not really true to who you are. Why? Because Jesus isn't just about our outward actions. He's about our heart. And so he wants us to have the right heart when we give. And so he's going to call them hypocrites over and over again, that they're just putting this mask up. And why are they putting this mask up? So that they will be seen by others. And he says they are going to get their reward. They're going to get from the audience that they want that pat on the back. That's their reward, the praise of others. So what's the right way then? Verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is a proverbial expression that Jesus is using that just has the idea of doing something without special effort or show. So picture it this way, when you go to write with your right hand, I'm not trying to disintegrate, or uh, I just lost the word, discriminate, thank you. <laughs> discriminate, um, discriminate against left-handers in the room today, all right? But if you are writing with your right hand, you don't announce to your left hand that you're going to write with your right hand, right? You don't say, left hand, I'm about to write with my right hand because my right hand is way better than you, right? You don't boast to your left hand when you write with your right hand. What do you do? You pick up the pen, you write, and you move on. That's the idea of not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing is you're not rubbing it in the face of your left hand that it can't write and it looks like a kindergarten when you do write with your left hand. You're just simply going about life and doing it. So Jesus says, when you give, don't boast about it. Don't do it to serve yourself. Just give and move on. Why? Verse four, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The father sees and he knows and he's going to reward you. So just give and move on. Second practice Jesus talks about, verse five, and when you pray, prayer was a pillar of the religious life. Really all three of these, if you study uh, religious history, these three are a part of every uh, religion really. And even the Jewish religion and Christianity, these pillars of, of giving and praying and, and fasting. And so Jesus brings up another pillar of praying and prayer is in its simplest form, a conversation with God. I, I really like Tim Keller's definition of prayer. He says, prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. That as I understand God to be my father, the natural response to that is prayer. That I, that I talk with my father. And so I love that it's a communicative response to the knowledge of God. It's this conversation that we have with God. And so Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So the hypocrites putting this mask up for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. So the idea is they love to have attention drawn to them. Right? Standing on the street corners, standing in the temple. It's the idea of showiness. 
that they want people to see that they were praying and how spiritual they are and how righteous they are by their prayers. And so Jesus says, that's the wrong way to pray. What's the right way? Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. Is Jesus saying we shouldn't pray in public, right? We shouldn't stand and pray that we're going against God's word by praying in public here? Well, I would say no based off other scripture, right? Where in the Old Testament, they prayed in public. The New Testament, Jesus prayed in public. Peter prayed in public. Paul prayed in public. So the, the idea is not that we shouldn't pray in public. Praying in public is not the issue. The issue becomes who you're praying for. See, prayer is not to be a show you're putting on for God, but a conversation with God. So going to your private room is just taking away the showiness of prayer. Because when you go to your room and pray, you're not putting on a show, right? You're not looking at your clothes and your shoes and being like, listen to this prayer. It's going to be incredible. This may be the best prayer you ever hear me pray, right? No, when you go to your room and pray, you're completely honest and open with God. There's no words you're looking to use specifically. You're not trying to impress people by your prayers. You're just opening your heart to God and saying, God, this is what's going on in my life. Here I am. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The wrong way... It's for us to pray to be showy so that people can see us and look at how spiritual they are. Rather, we go to our bedroom and we close the door and we talk to our Father. Luke illustrates this for us. In Luke chapter 18, when two men come to the temple to pray, one is a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. So one is a person that's really spiritual and religious outwardly, and then there's another one that a tax collector is the lowest of the low. No, they had no regard for them. They both come to the temple together to pray. And listen to what Jesus says about these men. The Pharisee stands by himself and prays thus. I like the word thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I, and listen, he's praying, right? So he's reminding God of how good he is. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. This is his prayer. Look at how good I'm. He, he nails all of these practices of righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting. But Jesus says, the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's not an impressive prayer in the eyes of the world. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So why does Jesus say when we pray, let's go to our rooms? The idea is we don't do it to be showy. 
that we're humbling ourselves before the Lord and that he will exalt those who humble themselves. But if we come to God with pride in our hearts when we pray and say, look at how good my prayer is and I've said all the right words and I've done all the right things, we're missing the point of prayer. The right way to pray is to not pray for showiness, but pray why? Because of verse six, the father sees and he will reward you. Jesus goes on in verse seven and talks some more about prayer when he says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus just sort of called out the Pharisees here and the religious people. Now he jumps on the Gentiles here, those who are far from God. And he says, don't be like them either because they think if they use a lot of words that Jesus is, that God is going to hear them. So they feel like they have a quota. And if they get to a certain quota with words, they get over that threshold and then it's like, all right, God's listening now, right? And Jesus is saying, that's the wrong way to pray. Don't use rote prayers that, are, that you're not even thinking about. You're just repeating the words over and over trying to get God's attention. Remember, prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer, listen, is not a means to get God's attention. We don't pray to get God's attention. We're not little children like trying to get God's attention by prayer. Prayer comes from a relationship with God. That's why the beauty of Hebrews that says we can come boldly into the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. I don't have to get his attention. I've got it through the person of Jesus Christ. And so I can come boldly into his throne of grace. So I don't have to use a bunch of words. I don't have to say exactly the right thing. And it's like, oh, the door unlocks and I walk right in, right? No, prayer is this conversation with God. So he says the wrong way is to use these rote kind of prayers that you just say over and over again to try to get God's attention. Then the question comes, how do we pray then? Like if we're not to use rote prayers and we're not to be showy with our prayers, then how do we pray? Well, thankfully, Jesus has an answer. Verse eight, do not be like them. And I love what Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before he, you ask him. I want you to think about that sentence. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't that an incredible thought? How many people are there on the world? I, don't, I haven't looked at it for a while. The last time I did look at it was like 7.8 billion people. And yet Jesus said the Father knows what you, like every person that is sitting in this room, he knows what you need before you ask. That's an incredible, that, that should blow our mind. That our father cares about everything that's going on in your life. And he knows exactly what you need. So the question I would ask of the text is then why pray, right? Like if he knows what I need, then why should I even take time to pray? That's, that doesn't seem to be a part of the equation. Well, I think a way for us to picture with that would be a parent and child relationship. I know every week and every day that my kids are going to need food to eat. Now, I know that. Ruth knows it better than I 
do, d- d- however you say that. And she responds better to their needs than I do. If, if I'm cooking around the house, it's gonna be pretty simple stuff, tacos, mac and cheese, hot dogs, hamburgers, like th- those are gonna be our, our meals, right? And the kids know when mom's gone, that's what they're gonna get. But one of the things I love about Ruth and why she is such a great mom is from week to week, she'll ask the kids as she's going to the grocery store, hey, what do you want for your school lunches this week? Like anything sound good for dinner this week as I'm going to do the grocery shopping? Now, Ruth could be the kind of parent that just like, this is what you're going to have and you're going to eat it and you're going to like it and you're going to say thank you and yes, ma'am, right? But Ruth's not that kind of parent. Ruth is the kind of parent that wants to know the heart of her kids. She wants to know the things that they want and that they desire. And if we can afford those things, right, and we can provide them that food, she can buy that at the grocery store. This is the same when we see prayer as a relationship with God, not this thing that we're trying to earn his favor or get his attention as a relationship, then it just makes sense. Even though he knows what I need, I'm still gonna talk to him because he's my father. And I'm gonna share my heart with him. And even if he says, nah, not this week, right? Like you're not getting Lunchables this week or you're not, you know, you can't take any special drinks to school this week, right? Like this is, even if he says that, it's okay. Why? Because it's, it's a relationship. So that's why we continue to pray, even though the father knows everything that we need because it's a relationship. And then he says this, pray then like this. So Jesus gives us now a model way to pray. I want you to notice, and many refer to this as the Lord's Prayer, even my Bible itself, the heading says the Lord's Prayer. I would disagree with that heading. I think it really is the disciples' prayer. This is not the Lord's prayer. He's not, he's telling us how to pray, but this is not necessarily his prayer. If we want to know the Lord's prayer, go to John chapter 17. That's the Lord's prayer. That's Jesus praying. So this is really a good interpretation of this would be the disciples prayer. It's a model prayer for them to follow. So think about uh, this idea of it being a model prayer is if you're a math teacher and forgive me for any math teachers in the room if I butcher this analogy you can talk to me afterwards and correct all my wording but if you're a math teacher typically you're going to show a problem before you teach your students or, or before you have them do the problem right you'll show a problem you'll work through a problem for them to see how you come to the solution it's a model for them to follow but as they begin to do their own problems. They just follow the model. They don't necessarily give the same answer. So if you're trying to teach them addition, right? This is my level of math. Two plus two equals four, right? So the top denominator added to the bottom denominator equals four. Now, when they go from there and they go to two plus one, is it going to be four? No, right? Two plus one, if, if you don't know, Yeah, two plus one is three. It's not the same answer. It was just a model. And so when Jesus is giving his disciples this prayer, it's not that we would wrote, quote it back to him. It's a model for us to talk to our father and how to talk with him. So is it good to memorize it? Yes. Is it good to say it? Yes. But it's not this, if we don't do this, God doesn't listen to us because he says, pray then like This, this is a model. I want you to notice the model that Jesus gives us. He says first, our father in heaven. Again, over and over, he uses the term father. Why? 
because it's a relationship. God is not some distant deity that we're trying to appease. He's a father who loves his children. And so as we talk to him, we say, our father. It's that kind of relationship. But I love that he says, start it with our father in heaven. So it's not just that we have this relationship, but there's a reverence to it in heaven, right? That we understand who he is and who we are in light of him. And so we come to him with the reverence of, yes, our father, but we understand our father in heaven. And then Jesus gives us six petitions to pray. I want you to notice the vertical petitions and horizontal. I'm not going to spend much time because we got to get moving here. But the, the, the first three are vertical. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as Jesus begins this model prayer, it's his name, his kingdom, his will, right? We are desiring the king who rules our hearts, that his name would be made much of, that his kingdom would come as he rules in hearts, that he would rule in this world and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven because God's will is perfectly done in heaven. And so we're praying that God's will would perfectly be done here on earth. Then it moves to horizontal. Give us, verse 11, this day, our daily bread. We are praying for his provision. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That is the idea of his forgiveness. And then verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is his victory. It is reminding us that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have victory. And so we've been delivered from the evil, evil one. And then in verse 14 and 15, Jesus expounds a bit more on this idea of forgiveness. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So this text seems as if God is saying there's a way that we have to work our way to heaven, right? That if if we're forgiving, then we can be forgiven. But if we're not forgiving, then we're not going to be forgiven. This is what, if you're reading this, for the first time, that's what it would come across as. But we have to remember that this sermon is from a relationship with God, not for a relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying, really, because you are forgiven, therefore you forgive. And if you don't forgive, you may not be forgiven. That's his point is because you've been forgiven, you should forgive. And if you're not being forgiven, then maybe you need to look at your heart and see if Jesus is ruling your heart. You see, the good news of the gospel is that when a person realizes that they are separated from God by their sin and they turn to Jesus for help and for forgiveness, that Jesus forgives them. Listen to how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter one in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Is there some forgiven people in the room today? Can I get an amen if you've been forgiven? Amen. 
Can I get a better amen if you've been forgiven? Can I get a best amen if you've been forgiven? That's right. We have been forgiven. And I want you to know today, if you sit in this room and you haven't been forgiven, and you say, Steve, if you knew what I did last night, there is no way that God would forgive me. I would say to you today, you don't know my God. And today, you can be forgiven. Whatever you may say, well, what about this? You can be forgiven. What about that? You can be forgiven. If you realize that you're a sinner, that Christ died for your sins, you can be forgiven. And we are a people, a forgiven people. That is one of the greatest benefits of salvation. I don't have to live with shame or guilt because I have been forgiven. And Paul goes on and says this, if you've been forgiven, chapter four of Ephesians, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiven people, forgive. Jesus is pointing to the relationship these practices have to do with our relationship with God. And if we're gonna practice prayer and we're gonna pray for God to forgive us as we fall short, that we too should be forgiving towards each other. Let's get quickly to the last one, fasting in verse 16. And when you fast, fasting just quickly is putting aside food to focus on God, just simply we can say that. It says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So what was the practice, the wrong way, is that they would start fasting and because they wanted everybody to see them fasting, they would literally not bathe and if that didn't work, if your smell didn't work, they would take ashes or dust from the ground and they would put it on their faces. So there was a sense in which you could notice, hey, I want you to know that I'm really sacrificing for the Lord right now and sort of hunched over a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you see that I'm fasting? I'm giving up food. I'm really hungry right now. Don't eat that bread in front of me because I'm hungry, right? Like they were trying to draw attention to themselves. And Jesus says they've received their reward. They get the attaboy, but it's from the wrong audience. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Here's what Jesus says, take a bath and get ready to go to a party. That's what he's saying by anoint your head and wash your face. Is act like you're enjoying life. Like get ready, go act like, hey, I'm not fasting. I'm focusing on God, but I'm not, I don't want you to know. So I'm going to act like normal. I'm going to go, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go about my day as I am seeking the Lord. And when you do this, again, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus began by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of showboating before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. He lays the groundwork and then he talks about giving and praying and fasting. And here's the one takeaway that I would want you to walk away with. When it comes to practicing our righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting, 
Jesus is saying, live for the audience of one, right? Your father who sees in secret will reward. Live for the audience of one. If people notice, great. But that's not why you do it. You give, you pray, you fast for one, the Father. And the Father who sees will reward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another challenging section of Scripture. I think we as your people get intoxicated by the praise of others. We love a good attaboy, a good pat on the back. We love for people to notice how good we are. And that, that's just sin nature at work in us. So Lord, please protect us as a church from the intoxication of praise. And help us, Lord, to be a people that give and pray and fast, not to be seen, not to be seen by the world and even our fellow believers, but that we would do these things for you and you alone because you see and you will reward. So Lord, give us a heart that lives for the audience of one in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.